And greetings in Jesus' name. It's good to see you all here. And uh, looking forward to spending a week with you. Developing godly convictions. That's our um, theme for the week. It is our desire and hope that we can help instruct and teach you this week and see you developing godly convictions. Convictions are a lot like faith. In fact, if you study what it says there in uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, where it talks about faith being the substance of things hoped for, the evidence, the evidence or the conviction of things not seen. And while we emphasize this week the importance of you developing solid biblical convictions of your own, we are not suggesting by that that you're free to pick and choose which convictions you want to have and which ones you don't want to have. That's not subject to our interpretations, but rather our understanding of the truth. And applying our hearts to it. God tells us what convictions we ought to have. And I hope that in no way do we give the impression that it's kind of a free for all. Pick and choose which ones you want to have and which ones you don't want to have. Unfortunately, that is very much the mentality and even the phraseology that's used many times today in, in, uh, in the Christian circles. And You'll hear comments like, well, I don't have a conviction about that. And dismiss it as though they're somehow therefore free from any consideration or obligation. When in fact, the scripture very plainly speaks to the topic. There are, of course, some things that are not specifically spelled out in Scripture, and we might talk about having convictions on that. Um, But I'd just like to say that what we want to emphasize this week is for you to be fully grounded in the Word of God. And that... The things that God says are your convictions. They become yours because you have internalized them. You have adopted them as the truth and established yourselves in it. Well, my subject that I want to dwell on the first three days here of this week is on the nature and character of God. And my titles, I will give them to you here. Uh, Today's title is Hallowed Be Thy Name. That's today's title. Tomorrow's Our Father, which art in heaven. And on Wednesday... I intend to speak on the goodness of God. 
Now this is, of course, a very limited and narrow focus on some aspect of God's character and nature. It's not... um, Scarcely even do justice to the whole topic, but these are the areas I wanted to focus on especially. And I know that in the afternoon sometimes it's difficult to pay attention because the day is wearing on and you've been standing and exercising your uh, lungs and your stamina a bit and now it's time to relax. And further, what I intend to speak on is a very doctrinal or even theological study. And for that reason, some may fade out in their minds. But I hope that's not you, because this is a very important topic. And the reason it's important, though it may seem theological, It's not just an intellectual exercise or some means to accumulate some more knowledge, but what you think about God affects how you will live and the choices you will make. God is very much interested in what we think about him and how we think about him. He actually told us quite a bit about his nature and his character. And he wants us to dwell upon that in our minds and spend some time thinking about it. And the reason is it will dramatically affect how we live. So the practical usefulness of this study is that it is going to impact how you live and what your experience in life is by your understanding, your view, and knowledge of God. Now when I say what you believe affects how you live, I'm talking about the things that you really believe. As compared perhaps to all the things you might say that you believe. And I hope there's not a big gap between the two. There shouldn't be. What we say we believe, we should truly believe. But unfortunately, there's a human reality that many times there's a tendency for us to slip away from what we really believe and what we say we believe. And God said it this way, he said, This people draweth nigh with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Well, let's not be among those, but rather let's have ears to hear and apply our hearts to the knowledge of God. Because what we believe will affect how we live. In Hebrews 11.6, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. So we want to seek God this week. And today our topic 
is entitled, Hallowed Be Thy Name. This comes from the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples to pray and taught us by extension there in Matthew chapter 6. He says, After this manner therefore pray ye, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Hallowed be thy name. So what does it mean to hallow God's name? Well, let's consider first of all what this term name represents. God has many names. God actually has probably one proper name, and that is the name Jehovah. We'll perhaps look a little more at that. But when he uses the term or expression name here, it has far more to do than just a um, a proper noun that describes uh, our individuality. We all have a name. Um, and we all usually have a surname. We have um, a given name and a surname. And that designates who we are. And when people address you, they use your name, and it means... You And there may be several Andrews, there may be several Johns, there may be several um, Alicias or whatever. But we use further names to distinguish one from another. But in this prayer that Jesus gave, hallowed be thy name, he's talking about far more than just that which distinguishes one from another, but rather... It has to do with the nature and character of God. Thy name represents all that relates to his character and his attributes, be it his majesty, his holiness, his omnipotence, his mercy, his goodness. And you could go on down the list naming all those attributes. Those are all embodied in this term, thy name. Hallowed be thy name. So when we think about his character, that's part of his name. In the Proverbs it says that a good name is rather to be chosen than great riches. We understand that he's talking about not whether John is nicer than Andrew or or that sort of thing, but rather our reputation, our, that which represents our character. A good character is rather to be chosen than great riches. And so when he uses the term, the name of God here, God's name, or hallowed be thy name, it has to do with the character and nature of God. So what does it mean for it to be hallowed? Hallowed? According to Webster's Dictionary, means consecrated to a sacred use or a religious exercise, treated as sacred, reverenced. 
And it means to regard with respect and reverence. So putting that together, we have here a definition that to hallow his name is to consider his character, his nature, his qualities, and to do so with a very reverent attitude. And this is not a reverence that is only taken with you to church. It is something that is lived. When you think of and consider God and his attributes, you reverence all that it represents. And you have in your conscience and in your life the things that give honor, reverence, treating it as sacred, the name of God. The fool hath said in his heart, there is no God. And it's not so much that he says that God doesn't exist, though that is certainly the, the speakings of a fool. But he also is saying, I have no need of God. I don't need God. That's the fool. He has no reverence, no respect for God's character, God's name, and the fact that he was created by God and owes all that he has to God. He has no regard, no respect. There is no honor there for God. But by contrast, we ought to be very reverent in our thinking and respect to God. God takes very seriously the, um, the, the character that he has and how we reverence it by the commandment that says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. What does that mean? Well, it would certainly include using the name of God as a swear word. That's... Uh, that's very disrespectful and ought not to be found among us not in any form not even in its mild euphemistic forms um, and there are many of those just stay away from them all they don't reverence God they don't give any uh, credit to his power and his magnificence and all those attributes we ought to think of him reverently and never take his name lightly but it goes farther than just our words it also uh, don't lightly claim to follow God you need to reverence him you need to honor him A number of verses that we could turn to, and there's this is only a few. But in Psalm 8 1, it says, O Lord, our Lord, how excellent is thy name in all the earth, who hast set thy glory above the heavens. Psalm 86 11, Teach me thy way, O Lord, I will walk in thy truth, unite my heart to fear thy name. Psalm 138, 2, I will worship toward thy holy temple and praise thy name for thy loving kindness and for thy truth 
For thou hast magnified thy word above all thy name. Isaiah 25, 1. O Lord, thou art my God. I will exalt thee. I will praise thy name. For thou hast done wonderful things. Thy counsels of old are faithfulness and truth. And Jeremiah 10, 6. For as much as there is none like unto thee, O Lord, thou art great, and thy name is great in might. So there are many ways that we can give honor to God. There are many different aspects of uh, his name being hallowed. But it is important to God how we think about him. What our conception of him is. What we think about his character and his attributes, because what we really believe about God will determine how we live. And it comes down very simply to um, being a guard against sin. If it's firmly fixed in our conscience, thou God seest me, nothing is hid from his eyes. Everything we have is naked and open unto the eyes of him with whom we have to do. It can be a very uh, real check against our flesh and against our tendency to um, sin. Thy word have I hid in my heart that I might not sin against thee. It's just one practical area of how this does affect our, uh, our lives. It affected how the three Hebrew men who were faced with the threat of a fiery furnace. And though they couldn't see God, they had a firm confidence that God was there. And that in no way, shape, or form should they dishonor the name of God. They should never bow down the knee into some foreign God. But rather they hallowed the name of God and refused to bow. And when they were threatened with the fiery furnace, they said that... If God chooses to deliver us, so be it. But if not, just be it known unto you that we will not bow down to your image. And of course, you know the story. They were thrown in the fiery furnace and God was there and delivered them because they hallowed his name. Malachi 1.6 God had this to say, A son honoreth his father, and a servant his master. If then I be a father, where is mine honor? And if I be a master, where is my fear? Saith the Lord of hosts unto you, O priests, that despise my name. And ye say, Wherein have we despised thy name? And then he goes on to reprove them for their sin. And it was a despising of his name when they refused to follow his commandments and to walk carefully in his ways. 
God called that despising his name. God revealed himself to us in his word and in Jesus Christ. John 17, 6. In his prayer, Jesus said this, I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Thine they were, and thou gavest them me, and they have kept thy word. Hebrews 2, 11 and 12. Again, speaking of Jesus, says, For both he that sanctifieth and they who are sanctified are all of one, for which cause he is not ashamed to call them brethren, saying, I will declare thy name unto my brethren. In the midst of the church will I sing praise unto thee. Jesus came to declare his name or his father's name unto his brethren. And think of it, it was more than just telling them what his name was. It was to express. It was to demonstrate. It was to actually show forth the nature and character of God. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That was his words to his disciples. And what he lived was a representation of what God wanted. And so he demonstrated the character. He revealed and so he was able to pray there toward the end of his ministry. I have manifested thy name unto the men which thou gavest me out of the world. Hallowed be thy name. First Peter 3.25, it says, But sanctify the Lord God in your hearts, and be ready always to give an answer to every man that asketh you a reason of the hope that is in you with meekness and fear. That word sanctify is sanctify the Lord God in your hearts. Isn't the original the same word that is in our text or in our title, Hallowed, sanctified, hallowed, same word, same meaning. To set apart to sacred use. So when we sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, again, we're not changing God's character. We are simply showing forth. His character. We are, as uh, as the psalmist said, extol His name, which has the idea of making it great. And the making it great is that in our own eyes and in the eyes of others, we are showing forth. We are telling forth His greatness, expanding both our conception and understanding of God's character, his name, and also enlightening the eyes of others. That's what it means to extol or to make great or to sanctify, to set apart, to make it holy, set apart to sacred use.
Now, I'd like to give several examples here from history of people who sanctified the Lord God in their hearts. And in these examples, we can take lessons that, uh, that we also might do the same. The first one, there was a man in the land of Uz whose name was Job. And that man was perfect and upright and one that feared God and eschewed evil. He feared God. What does it mean to fear God? He used to have a reverence and a respect for who he is. Well, you know the story. Satan came before the Lord, and here's what the Lord said unto Satan. Hast thou considered my servant Job, that there is none like him in the earth, a perfect and an upright man, one that feareth God and escheweth evil? And of course, Satan had noticed. He knew about Job. He knew that Job feared God. And he said, doth Job fear God for naught? There's a reason. And it's because you've been so good to him. You've protected him. You've given him all these good things. And, and he went on to make some pretty serious accusations against Job. And there was this dialogue between God and Satan. And God allowed Satan to touch Job. And Job suffered these calamities. He suffered the loss of his children. He suffered the loss of his properties. His, uh, much, of, much or all of his wealth. And in the end, his own body was suffering affliction. And his wife said, why don't you just curse God and die? Curse God. Job said, no, I can't do that. Curse job, curse God? No, and here's what Job said. He said, naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Blessed? Yes, hallowed. Hallowed be thy name. Job was not willing to have the character of God um, given any uh, bad reputation. He wanted God's name and his character to be intact. And so he made no accusation against God, nor charged God foolishly for anything that had come upon him. But rather he feared God and said, Blessed be the name of the Lord. That's what it means to hallow God's name. Now moving forward. Many years, there was a man named Polycarp. He was one of the disciples of the Apostle John. He was also a bishop at the church of Smyrna. 
We read about that church in the book of Revelation. But Polycarp lived many years, and I'd like to read just a short excerpt of his life from the martyr's mirror. And this is recording the end of his life. He had been arrested, and he was brought before the, uh, the council there. And here's how it's recorded in the martyr's mirror. As soon as Polycarp had entered the amphitheater where he was to be executed, a voice came to him from heaven saying, Be strong, O Polycarp, and valiant in thy confession in the suffering which awaits thee. No person saw the f- no person saw from whom this voice proceeded, but many of the Christians that stood around heard it. However, on account of the great commotion, the greater part of the people could not hear it. It nevertheless tended to strengthen Polycarp and those who had heard it. The stadtholder admonished him to have compassion for his great age and by swearing by the emperor's fortune to deny Christ. Thereupon Polycarp gave the following candid reply. I have now served my Lord Jesus Christ 86 years, and he has never done me any harm. How can I deny my king, who hath hitherto preserved me from all evil, and so faithfully redeemed me? Thereupon the stadtholder threatened to have him torn by wild beasts, if he should not desist from this purpose, saying, I have the beasts ready, before whom I shall cast thee, unless thou become converted betimes. Polycarp answered unterrified, Let them come, for my purpose is unchangeable. We cannot be converted or perverted from good to evil by affliction, but it would be better if they, the evildoers who persist in their wickedness, would become converted to that which is good. The stadtholder replied, If thou art not yet sorry and despisest the wild beasts, I shall have thee burned with fire. Once more Polycarp answered, saying, Thou threatenest me with a fire, which will perhaps burn for an hour, and then soon go out. But thou knowest not the fire of the future judgment of God, which is prepared and reserved for the everlasting punishment and torment of the ungodly. But why delayest thou? Bring on the beasts, or the fire, or whatever thou mayest choose. Thou shalt not by either of them move me to deny Christ, my Lord and Savior. So he remained steadfast unto death, and soon thereafter they burned him with fire. However, the fire had little effect on him, and eventually he was put to death by the sword. So that was Polycarp. Hallowed be thy name. He was ready to stand for God's character and proclaim it before the heathen. Another man, many years later, recorded also in Martyr's Mirror, uh, Michael Sadler. Michael Sadler was arrested and brought before the council, and there 
was charged with various crimes. They had, I believe, nine charges against him. And he gave response to these charges. The first charge was that he and his adherents had acted contrary to the mandate of the emperor. And so on, they charged him with a number of things of interest here, um, and particularly in relation to our subject later in this week. The ninth charge they gave was this, that he had said that if the Turks should invade the country, no resistance ought to be offered them. And if it were right to wage war, he would rather take the field against the Christians than against the Turks. And it is certainly a great matter to set the greatest enemies of our holy faith against us. Now, just a note here, the Turks that he was referring, that the council was referring to, were the Muslims. Or, in our modern terms, we would call them terrorists. Same religion. Same ideology, same everything, just a little different terms. They called them Turks because they were from Turkey. Now, after the charges were given, Michael Sadler requested permission to confer with his brethren and sisters, which was granted him. Having conferred with them for a little while, he began and undauntingly answered thus, in regard to the articles relating to me and my brethren and sisters, hear this brief answer. First, that we have acted contrary to the imperial mandate, we do not admit. For the same says that the Lutheran doctrines and and delusion is not to be adhered to, but only the gospel and the word of God. This we have kept. For I am not aware that we have acted contrary to the gospel and the word of God. I appeal to the words of Christ. And so on, he refuted these charges or admitted according to uh, the faith. But I noted the last one, and so here was his answer. I think here in this record, it um, he calls it in his response the eighth charge. But he said, if the Turks should come, we ought not to resist them, for it is written, thou shalt not kill. We must not defend ourselves against the Turks and others of our persecutors, but are to beseech God with earnest prayer to repel and resist them. But that I said, that if warring were right... I would rather take the field against the so-called Christians who persecute, apprehend, and kill pious Christians than against the Turks was for this reason. The Turk is a true Turk having nothing of the Christian faith and is a Turk after the flesh. But you, who would be Christians and who make your boast of Christ, persecute the pious witnesses of Christ and are Turks after the Spirit." Exodus 20, verse 13, Matthew 7, 7, and Titus 1, 16. In conclusion, 
Ye ministers of God, I admonish you to consider the end for which God has appointed you, to punish the evil and to defend and protect the pious. Whereas then, we have not acted contrary to God in the gospel, you will find that neither I nor my brethren and sisters have offended in word or deed against any authority. Therefore, ye ministers of God, if ye have not heard or read the word of God, send for the most learned and for the sacred books of the Bible, of whatever language they may be, and let them confer with us in the word of God. And if they prove to us with the holy scriptures that we err and are in the wrong, we will gladly desist and recant and also willingly suffer the sentence and punishment for that of which we have been accused. But if no error is proven to us, I hope to God that you will be converted and receive instruction. And then he quotes several references. Upon this speech, the judges laughed and put their heads together, and the town clerk of Eisenheim said, Oh, you infamous, desperate villain and monk, shall we dispute with you? The hangman shall dispute with you, I assure you. And Michael said, God's will be done. Hallowed be thy name. Well, fast forward quite a few years. About a hundred years ago, there was a man named Ananias. He lived in the town of Kelowna. He was a man who feared God and sought to keep his commandments. And the time was that what was known as the Great War. We now know it as World War I. But in that day, it was called the Great War. It was billed as the war to end all wars. We know, of course, that didn't work. But patriotism was very high in that day. and So to be opposed to the war was not popular at all. Ananias rather believed the scriptures that it was not right for Christians to kill, nor did he feel it was right to support the war effort. And so he refused to buy war bonds, which were used to fund the war. And it was an optional thing. It was not like a tax that was required. It was optional. You could choose to do so or not do so, and he chose not to and faced a good bit of ridicule and pressure. And there were enemies who hated him for that. They snuck in by night and threw a bunch of yellow paint on his black buggy to paint him as a coward. And he simply washed it off and didn't retaliate. But his enemies gave further uh, false accusations against him, and they rumored that he was a seditionist and perhaps guilty of treason. So he was arrested by federal marshals under the suspicion of being part of a plot to assassinate the president and for treason. And he was 
hauled to Davenport to a federal prison. But he was only held for three days, and then all charges were dropped because there was no no evidence and no substance to the accusations whatsoever, so it was just simply dropped, and he was able to return home. He wasn't willing to compromise. And that's what it means to hallow the name of God, to reverence, to be willing to stand on principle, to not yield or succumb when faced with pressure, to be willing to endure persecution, even unto death, like several of these examples. Now for us, we have not yet resisted um, to the point of shedding our blood in striving against sin. But there is a temptation for us, even then, to be wearied and faint in our mind. But we shouldn't be. We should be willing to stand. We should know the principles by which we live. And one of those principles is for us to hallow the name of God. To sanctify the Lord God in our hearts, to be ready always to give an answer for the reason of the hope that lieth in us. To be able to give an answer as to why we don't do certain things. Or, conversely, to give an answer as to why we do certain things. And why it's important. And what the Lord has commanded concerning it. We can take example from those who have gone before and showed us the way in standing in times of difficulty. But I'd like to make it just a little more practical for us this week. What does it mean to hallow God's name? Let's uh, turn to Psalm 96. Yes, Psalm 96. And I would like to just mention that as we read through this, consider all the ways that the psalmist here lays out that we can hallow, sanctify God's name, his reputation, his character, and in a very practical way. Uh, most of it has to do with our mouth, opening our mouth and speaking of these things. Let's read Psalm 96. O sing unto the Lord a new song, sing unto the Lord all the earth. Sing unto the Lord, bless his name. Show forth his salvation from day to day. Declare his glory among the heathen, his wonders among all people. 
For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the nations are idols, but the Lord made the heavens. Honor and majesty are before him. Strength and beauty are in his sanctuary. Given to the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people, given to the Lord glory and strength. Given to the Lord the glory due unto his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. O worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. Fear before him all the earth. Say among the heathen that the Lord reigneth. The world also shall be established that it shall not be moved. He shall judge the people righteously. Let the heavens rejoice and let the earth be glad. Let the sea roar in the fullness thereof. Let the field be joyful and all that is therein. Then shall all the trees of the wood rejoice before the Lord. For he cometh, for he cometh to judge the earth. He shall judge the world with righteousness and the people with his truth. Sing unto the Lord a new song. Singing is one avenue where we can extol the name of God. We can hallow his name. We can speak forth in song a blessing to his name. Bless the Lord. Praise his name. That's part of hallowing his name. Declare his glory among the heathen. His wonders among all people. Speak about the wonderful things that God has done. For the Lord is great and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. Verse 7. Give unto the Lord, O ye kindreds of the people. Give unto the Lord glory and strength. Give unto the Lord the glory due unto his name. Has God done good things for you? Has God provided you salvation? Then speak of it. That's part of our way of hallowing his name. Hallowed be thy name. Speak about it. Say among the heathen. When you have opportunity among the unsaved, speak about the wonderful things of God. Well, that's just a few. There's many, many more we could go through and look at in in the Psalms. But this week, it is important for you to speak of the good things of God. There's one verse I'd like to, uh, or several verses actually, Malachi chapter 3. And verse 16 and 17. It says, Then they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my jewels. And I will spare them, 
as a man spareth his own son that serveth him. So this week, as you came here, you have an opportunity to hallow God's name. And it's done very simply by speaking about the good things that he has done. It is speaking about his salvation. And God is listening. Do you believe that? Do you believe God is listening? I had to think of a handful of places in Scripture, for example, and if you think of some of the negative ones, is when the cry of Sodom and their wickedness came up before the Lord, he came to Abraham and he said, The cry of Sodom has come up before me, and I have come down to see whether it be so. And I'm putting some of my own words. And he said there, And if it be not so, I shall know. So God came down to check it out. So if God comes here this week to check it out, we've made preparations. You've traveled. God saw you coming. We prayed. We prepared. And I believe God is showing up to check this out. Is it going to be according to the report that I have heard? Do these people really mean what they say they mean when they come? Is my name going to be hallowed this week? Yeah, I think God is listening. And The way we do that is very simple. They that feared the Lord, that's us, right? We we fear the Lord, don't we? Spake often one to another. And the Lord hearkened and heard it, and a book of remembrance was written before him for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. So God is writing a book. He wants your name in it. Do you want your name in it? Well, yes, of course you do. Because the promise is that in that day they shall be mine, saith the Lord. So God is writing a book. He wants your name in it. How do you get your name in it? You be one of those who fear the Lord, that speak one to another, And that think upon his name. Now, let's just put this in perspective a little bit. I'm here speaking about God and you're all sitting there paying very good attention. Thank you. But this isn't all of Bible school. It's not just the preacher standing behind the pulpit for an hour and expounding the word of God, yes, that maybe we might think that's the major part, okay? But that's only a small portion of Bible school. The rest of the time is break time, it's chorus time, it's lunch time, it's supper time, it's prayer and sharing. And those are the times you have an opportunity to open your mouth and talk about the good things of God. 
Now, conversely, you can fill it with all kinds of other things. And out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. So, you know, where do you stand on issues? And I'll, I'll maybe pick on the young men because maybe I hear those conversations more. I don't know what all the sisters talk about. But young men, you know, where do you stand on um, issues like uh, what kind of vehicle is the best to buy and drive? Oh. Where do you stand on hunting? Uh, where do you stand on money? And maybe you don't even say a whole lot, but you just talk about things you bought and things you wish to buy and how much it costs and all kinds of other things, and people soon discern where you stand on money. Well, could we put that aside for a week and talk about the good things of God, what God has done in your life, the victories you have won, the battles you face, difficulties you have, exhorting one another, giving a word of encouragement to a sister that's struggling, going through a hard time in life, whatever it is. I mean, this is your week. For you to open your mouth and hallow God's name and say, the Lord is great. The Lord has done marvelous things for me. And the Lord has brought some of you through some very difficult times. I know at least some, a few of you, I know some of your stories. I know that God has brought you through. You may not feel like a hero, but you can open your mouth and simply testify of the good things that God has done for you. Be it a temptation you overcame, a painful experience God brought you through. Maybe it's a painful experience you're in now and just feel God's sustaining grace to, to bring you through. Whatever it is, talk about the miraculous things you've heard of. The experiences you've had. Um, opening your mouth to testify of the work, the good work that God has done in you. And I'm not talking about boasting. I'm not talking about being puffed up. I'm just saying let's acknowledge and let's turn to that. There is a verse in Philemon, that little book of Philemon, just before Hebrews. Verse 6. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. Now let me read that again. That the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. 
I think it simply means the communication of thy faith or the, uh, your testimony. The effectiveness of your testimony, be it whether you're talking to the unsaved or encouraging your brethren, the communication of thy faith may become effectual by the acknowledging, that is, giving honor and reverence to God for all his marvelous ways, his righteousness, his, his, uh, his faithfulness, the acknowledging of every good thing which is in you in Christ Jesus. It's not boasting in yourself, but it's boasting in him. Boasting in what God has done for you. Have we taken it from the big theological study down to some very practical things? That God is listening this week for you to hallow his name. Is God important to you? If he is, you'll open your mouth and talk about the things that matter to you. And if God matters, if you want your name in his book, and you do, then let's be effectual in our, in our interaction this week, showing forth the marvelous works of God. And, and I know... Just a few of your life histories that you would have some marvelous things to speak about. Oh, I'm sure there's lots of negative things you could talk about, but there's also very positive things that God has done for you, through you, and perhaps will yet do if you give him the space. May God bless you. I'll turn it over to the moderator.